Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program with an infatuation about trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including the new Volkswagen Caddy, Nissan launches its toughest Navara ute yet and they also have plans to catch up with their electrification with a new strategy. And in our feature story, Nissan has launched the Pro 4X Warrior. At the launch, we spoke to some of the people who were part of its development, how they worked out what the market wanted, and how they developed the product to match. And we also chat to Volkswagen about their new Caddy, and how they have a modular approach to meet the different needs of customers. There's more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available on Spotify or iTunes. Or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City Driven Media. So let's get this program going with the news. The Volkswagen Caddy is one of only a few vehicle brands in the small van category. It has led that market segment for the last 16 years and is still ahead in 2021, despite the current difficulties with supply. Volkswagen also offers the Caddy as a people mover with up to seven seats capacity, and soon you'll be able to get a California camper version. Paul Pottinger, the General Manager, Corporate Communications for Volkswagen Group Australia, says that it carries on the tradition of the combi. We're at a point in the business where the, the bigger ones and the conversions, which are an increasingly important part, important part of our business, can cost more than $100,000 before kit out. And yet the, the initial allocation of California is sold out within hours of being made available online. Indeed, we had to get order more of them. And we discerned a couple of years ago that there was a, a potential for a smaller one, be they uh, grey nomads or... Um, People a good deal younger than you and I, David, who might wish just to uh, get away for the, a weekend or, or a trip. It's a beach vehicle. Uh, with, it's a, a weekend getaway vehicle. And as we say, endlessly modular, so you can adapt it much as you like. Nissan has launched its toughest Navara ute, now called the Pro 4X Warrior. Serious adventurers, including those who go off-roading, are known to spend many thousands of dollars upgrading the suspension and adding features to their utes. Original equipment manufacturers argue that aftermarket features are not covered by their warranty, they may have unintended consequences, and they may affect your insurance. Matt Bailey from Nissan says how they determine what the customer wants. Obviously, we get access to a lot of market market research. We can track buyer behaviour through sales, data, um, things of that nature, so a lot of existing research. Um, but also talking to the dealer network in Nissan, we call it going to the Gemba, getting to the dealership floor, talking to the sales managers, the salespeople. That's really important to kind of get the voice of the customer. Plus, social media, uh, owners groups, forums, social media forums, bespoke research, a whole, whole raft with something in the car industry we're never short of is information and data. The new Volkswagen Caddy small van and multi-seat people mover is powered by a new diesel engine that meets Euro 6, currently the highest standard of pollution reduction. Paul Pottinger from Volkswagen Group Australia continues to advocate for high fuel standards, including the need to legislate for better quality petrol. 
I think the best you can get here in premium unleaded is 50 parts per million. The great majority of petrol sold here has 150 parts per million. The regulated, mandated standard in other countries, including New Zealand, is 10 ppm. We, don't, we are some years, three or four years, from uh, achieving that here in Australia, which is something because originally it wasn't going to, uh, wasn't going to be implemented until 2027. It now looks, looks like 2024. Only 11 years after you were considered the original uh, 13 or 14. Nissan used an external engineering company, Premcar, to develop its latest Navara Pro 4X Warrior Ute. The need for expert engineering is, for example, when you incorporate bull bars and roll bars, you add weight, which needs careful consideration of the effects on the handling. Nissan also wanted to keep a good tray payload, which is 952 kilograms, well above some of its direct competitors. Premcar arose from engineering work, particularly with high-performance petrol sedans. But their engineering director, Bernie Quinn, clearly believes in the right car for the right occasion. I drive an electric vehicle as my day-to-day car. Oh, okay. But I also have 650 horsepower V8 Falcon, and I've also got a dual cab pickup. I'm lucky enough to have all three, to be honest. But um, you know, the, my my passion doesn't only belong in one category. You know, it's 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 open to everything, and I think that Australians are like that generally. Nissan is playing catch-up in the race to electrify its fleet with the announcement of its Ambition 2030 program. It plans to accelerate electrification with an equivalent investment of $25 billion Australian dollars over the next five years. This will see them launch 23 new electrified models, including 15 new electric vehicles, aiming for 50% electrification mix by 2030. Nissan aims to launch its proprietary all-solid-state batteries by 2028. Nissan says that the battery technology will reduce charging time to one-third and bring the cost of battery packs down to $106 per kilowatt-hour by 2028 and ultimately reach $92 per kilowatt-hour to achieve cost parity between electric vehicles and petrol vehicles in the future. The most powerful Nissan LEAF has a 62 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery, so a battery pack would, according to these figures, ultimately cost around $5,600. And that has been the news. Nissan has just revealed its latest top of the range edition of its dual cab ute, now called the Navara Pro 4X Warrior. It clearly has a macho image and name, but is it just a show pony or a credible off-roader? The powertrain is the same, but the suspension and design have had some work. At the launch, we talked to Nissan and their contracted engineering company, Premcar, on how they identified customer needs and go about developing the extra bits that turn the Navara into a warrior. Uh, my name is Matthew Bailey. I'm the uh, Conversions and Local Product Development Manager for Nissan. Conversions, that sounds evangelical. <laughs> uh, well, I'm pretty lucky uh, to have such a, a job. Basically, what it means is we take uh, uh, a standard product and then we look at adding modifications to meet the needs of the customer uh, locally with a, with a local converter. How do you find what uh, the customers are thinking? What sort of... Uh, formal research or informal research or both? 
Uh, yeah, a range to be honest. So um, obviously we get access to a lot of market market research. We can track buyer behavior through sales, data, um, things of that nature. So a lot of existing research, um, but also talking to the dealer network in Nissan, we call it going to the Gemba, getting to the dealership floor, talking to the sales managers, the salespeople. That's really important to kind of get the voice of the customer. Plus, um, social media, um, uh, owners groups, forums, social media forums, bespoke research, a whole whole raft with something in the car industry we're never short of is information and data. Yeah, but you've got to good be good to listen to it, haven't you? You've got to yes, interpret it. Got to interpret it. Yeah. So you know, sometimes you can get you can get too much information, and what you have to do is you know distill that down. Often I'll look at things from two or three different perspectives to really hone in on the on the root cause issue to mm. identify the opportunity for the conversion. Um, we also had dealers doing conversions as well, um, and we could see an opportunity to develop um, a converted vehicle with the most popular modifications that would meet those needs, um, but would be supplied through Nissan dealerships, would be warranted with a five-year warranty. And I think mm. for us, the most important thing is, you know, a customer sometimes will do this piece by piece, adding bits together um, with the conversion that we're doing. It's actually designed as a complete package, engineered as a complete package, tested as a complete package. And, you know, that's what we've been experiencing uh, yesterday is that product. It's consistent with things like insurance as well. That's right. So, you know, when you're going to buy a car, often with insurance, they'll ask you, you know, has the vehicle been modified? Have you done something to it? With this, the vehicle it already comes ready, ready complete from the showroom floor with all of the modifications made. As I understand it, an insurance company can only knock back your claim if it can show that a modification contributed to the cause of the damage. Adding things on can have unintended consequences. So Nissan outsourced some engineering developments. Can I have your name and yeah. your title? Yeah, I'm Bernie Quinn. I'm the engineering director of Premcar. Okay. And I'm Tom Mbezi and I'm the head of programs at Premcar. Bernie, you were saying that you make modifications and we've heard from Matt how important that is for stability and, and consistency. And what yeah. sort of things are we talking about and mm. how important is it that they interact and interact well? Yeah, yeah. So I, I use the word harmony to describe what we do. We do it in a harmonious, integrated package. And the modification, Matt might have already told you this, but the modifications that we uh, put on the Navara to make it into a warrior are typical of what customers used to spend in the aftermarket. So, um, you know, Australian consumers want a vehicle that is developed uh, to their own tastes. They're not happy with just taking a generic model that's the same as you'd buy in Thailand, Japan, US, UK, Europe, whatever. They want it their own Navara. And so typically, um, the customers would buy a Navara, a Hilux or a Ranger and they'd go to the aftermarket and spend maybe ten dollars or $15,000 on into, uh, sorry, uh, aftermarket components. We looked at what they were spending money on and it was bull bars, lift kits, wheels and tyres, uh, underbody protection. So we developed those parts and applied them to Navara to turn it into a Warrior, but importantly they were developed as a cohesive, harmonious, integrated package. Because, um, quite frankly, the customer could go and spend that money in the aftermarket and to get the same thing, a lift kit, wheels and tyres, flares, a bull bar. Not only might it not be legal, 
it's probably not going to be warranted by the manufacturer anymore and it's not going to probably work in an integrated harmonious way and what i mean by that i'm rambling a bit sorry but what i mean by that is you can put a wheel and tire on the car and go and drive it down the road and it's probably going to annoy the hell out of you if it hasn't been developed properly because it's going to make noise and not, might not grip properly in the wet so we do all of those things so that the wheel and tire works with the suspension works with the cabin so that it's a nice experience for the driver integrated and harmonious could be pr wankery yeah <laughs> Yeah, not from me. <laughs> Sorry to choose a technical term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that has a real point. Uh, you know, mm. The clearance of the tyres mm. and, and the movement of the suspension. It, yep. It's not just a case of bolting something on. It's knowing what it'll do. Exactly. And, and, and really, um, you know, first thing is we've got to make it legal. So we have to go and do all the Australian design rule testing to make sure that the car passes all of those tests again. And we have to go and make sure it passes all, it still works well with all the safety systems, you know, autonomous emergency braking and, you know, ABS, traction control, all of those things have to be revalidated again. So, you know, there's a lot in it. There's a lot in it. Tell me about Primco. What's its so, history? So our, our history is we, the company was founded in 1996. So we've been around for a long time. Um, at that time, the company was called Tickford Vehicle Engineering. It was a UK-based organisation, came to Australia really to facilitate the delivery of niche vehicles for Ford in Australia. So, you know, Tom and I and all the engineers at Premcar really grew up doing performance versions of Fords, LPG conversions for Ford, sunroof installation for Ford, all those niche variants. Um, in 2002, it changed names to ProDrive, Automotive Technology, because ProDrive in the UK, you know, Subaru World Rally Team, very famous company in the UK, um, bought Tickford in the UK. So our name changed to ProDrive Automotive Technology Australia, and at that time we set up a joint venture with Ford, which was Ford Performance Vehicles. So again, we, we cut our teeth on doing, you know, V8 Falcons, Supercharged Falcons, XR6 Turbo Falcons for all of those years. Of course, the, ch the company changed dramatically when Ford stopped manufacturing in Australia, and at that time... ProDrive offered the business up for management buyer and myself and my colleague Jim Jovanovsky, we, we bought the company out at that time. So that's 2012. The, the utility in that has been through a number of phases. Yeah. It was the, the workhorse. It, it yep. was then perhaps with Falcons and Commodores, a two-door sports car yeah. in some ways. So yep. I, I remember trying to take a ute to pick something up I had to drive up a curb and gutter I had to get out and put a bit of timber there <laughs> you wouldn't have to do that with a Pro 4X no, no. no. it was just a standard yeah, curb, yeah. curb and gutter yet maybe it had some that utility then had a bit of um, um, testosterone more image than mm. that but we've evolved haven't yeah. we yeah well I think that the Australian customer wants a vehicle that can actually do everything and anything you know, they want to be able to take it away on the weekend camping, go on the sort of tracks that we drove on yesterday, you know, and make that a seamless experience, have the family in the truck while they do it and the camping gear in the back. You know, our engineers are really representative of the passionate and loyal customers that we have out there. You know, we've got guys that go camping, go off-roading, attach a trailer to the car, take their family, um, just like our customers do. 
So we can really apply that real world experience, that genuine passion to the cars for our customers like Nissan. Well, the Leaf, they're now developing one that has a bit more yeah. off-road capability yep. in order if they're out at an emergency site right. as yeah. a portable battery. Yeah. Yeah. You may well find a, a yeah. carryover from one <laughs> experience to the other. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that kind of speaks to what we do is not just changing a the focus of a vehicle but actually evolving and, and broadening the capability of a vehicle mm. and not just being a city car but broadening it so we can, it can do anything. Well, electric utes, uh, yeah. a lot of tradies are longing for them. Absolutely. I think it's, it's going to be a significant area of growth over the next decade. And I think that uh, we're really well placed to be involved in that, to be honest. The debate with electric vehicles, again, has tended to be all or nothing. Yeah. You know, uh, fundamentalism, really. Yeah. And it's very easy to have a scenario that stops well, suggest to stop something happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, I, look, I drive, a, I drive an electric vehicle as my day-to-day car. Oh, okay. But I also have 650 horsepower V8 Falcon, and I've also got a dual-cab pickup. I'm lucky enough to have all three, to be honest. But, um, you know, the, my, my passion doesn't only belong in one category. You know, it's, it's, it's open to everything, and I think that Australians are like that, generally. Matt's title is called Conversion something, something, something. Yeah, the longest I, title in history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought that sounded evangelical, you know. Uh, and, and now you're talking ecumenical, you know. You, you cover all, all, all religions, exactly. as it were. Yeah. yeah, I have to go to seven different churches every week. It takes a lot of my time. <laughs> and, and, and worship at the fuel, yeah, at the service station of... <laughs> yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah, well, but but it's important then for people to see that it's not one-dimensional. That yeah. it's that it's it's actually engineering solving problems. Hundred you know, percent. Yep. An electric vehicle isn't a an in, in terminable barrier. No. It's it's an opportunity. Hundred percent. You're perfectly put. It's, it's an, an evolution. Yep. It's an evolution of what the vehicle is. Yeah. Yep. You're listening to Overdrive. Mazda CX-8 sits in the very competitive seven-seat all-wheel-drive SUV segment. So how does it stand out? Well, by adding a six-seat version that is packed with luxury and two captain chairs for the middle row. The CX-8 Asaki LE features quilted Nappa leather seats with heating, ventilation and electronic adjustments for both front and middle row seats. The middle row captain seats are separated by a functional console with armrests, cup holders and USB ports. The Asaki LE is powered exclusively by the 2.2 litre turbocharged diesel engine, iActive all-wheel drive and a six-speed automatic transmission. The combination provides enough oomph for everyday driving as well as great economy. It's an ideal family SUV for those that want a little extra luxury and comfort. As you would expect, the CX-8 comes with a 5-star NCAP safety rating and Mazda's 5-year unlimited kilometre warranty and roadside assistance. The CX-8 Asaki LE is priced from $69,290 plus usual costs. I'm Brianna Fraser. Overdrive. Answering your questions across Australia.
The Drive. In the early 1950s, not many years after producing their first sedan, Holden decided to move into the commercial area by making a panel van. Later in the 70s in Australia, the panel van continued to be used as a work vehicle but began also to be adapted by others for more recreational activities. It was easy to put a mattress in the back and go camping in the bush or down by the beach. The Volkswagen Caddy is a smaller vehicle than the Falcons and Holdens of the previous era, but they are now being decked out in different formats for different purposes. Paul Pottinger is the General Manager of Corporate Communications for Volkswagen Group Australia, who says that he has some empathy for the previous era, but the company is now just dipping its toe in the water with its smaller caddy on providing various opportunities for their use. G'day Paul, transport planning has often been criticised for concentrating only on moving people and not giving enough attention to moving freight. Car companies have always known, but perhaps even more now, the need to consider the moving of freight, especially parcels. Well, look, well it certainly hasn't become less relevant. Despite what some idealists might like to believe, there is absolutely a place for transportation of goods. They can't yet be uh, teleported to market. They have to be transported. Certainly in the part of the world I live, car use might be at a minimum. And I, I think freight vehicles are probably a great proportion of the vehicles you would see on the road at any one time, be they great or small. And the Caddy's a little van. Who's the typical sort of purchaser of those when it was purely for freight? Well, I know a gentleman in my, my own uh, neighbourhood here who has a dozen of them in his business and will be probably purchasing a not dissimilar number. The whole commercial vehicles aspect of Volkswagen is about creatures great and small there are there is of course the crafter which has its own postcode indeed its own gravitational field it's so big but also there are smaller but yet endlessly modular examples as well and the, the caddy exemplifies that modular important point isn't it well let's still look at the freight i met a guy the other day that does dog walking and looking after dogs mm. and he needed a place to keep his medical kit it was just an important part of having those nooks and crannies and and set up that's uh, been important to any van well that's that's indeed the case i mean you can have two seats four seats or seven and you can have more over particularly insofar as the gentleman you just alluded to would be concerned you can have a sliding door at the side which once you get used to it it's very difficult to go back to the farm I mean, they're, ex- they're extremely hard to do without once you've got used to them. Is there a latent demand for smaller vehicles like the Caddy that fit the kids in and go camping? Is something you're pushing fairly strongly? We, we are, but I wouldn't say there's necessarily a demand. I do like to think that we're anticipating it. I mean, traditionally, I mean, the most old, uh, iconic Volkswagens, if we can use that much abused term in this country, have been combis, mm. which are the original recreational vehicle, which, of course, like the Caddy started life as a, as a commercial vehicle or as a utilitarian kind of device. But the Caddy, and indeed the one I can see behind you in your backdrop, is an example of a, of a smaller camper van, a smaller RV. We're at a point in the business where the, the bigger ones and the conversions, which are an increasingly important part of our business, can cost more than $100,000 before kit out. And yet the, the initial allocation of California is sold out within hours of being made available online. Indeed, we had to get order more of them. And we discerned a couple of years ago that there was a, a potential for a smaller one, be they uh, grey nomads or um, people a good deal younger than you and I, David, who might wish just to... Uh, 
get away for the a weekend or or a trip. It's a beach vehicle. Uh, with, it's a a weekend getaway vehicle, and as we say, endlessly modular, so you can adapt it much as you like. It's not one dimensional, is it? That uh, we tend to think perhaps of camping people as the absolute rugged, yet there's the chance just for a weekend away and there's a lot of variation. And as you say, a modular approach is to say, well, here's something that will fit them. One of the caddies, you you have both short and long wheelbase, don't you? Mm, that's right. In the commercial vehicles, uh, most dominantly, and, and that will be the, the great part, they'll be the great majority of sales. And indeed, caddy, when it was in supply towards the end of its uh previous model life uh, was some 80% of its segment, which I don't think is paralleled elsewhere or in any any other ostensibly passion, passenger vehicle segment in, in the country. And now I think the, the great advantage of it is it is more evidently a Golf than previously. It's built on the uh, MQB platform, the same as a Golf and a great many, in fact, all Volkswagen passenger vehicles, except for the largest ones. I like to think very much that the, the people mover iteration of the, the Caddy is basically a seven-seat Golf. Your marketing features like being able to put a tent out the back, a, a, an extension? In the in the special and specialised ones, I mean, the Caddy California, previously, you know, uh, which was here in a, in a incarnation in the Caddy's previous generation, a camper van doesn't have to take up several parking spots, mm. and particularly if you're, if you're coming from the Burbs and where parking's at a premium, particularly my part of the Burbs. You don't want something which is utterly impractical during the week. And this, of course, serves both purposes. It can do the school run or the, the, the soccer mum run, as the Americans say. And uh, you can go up, go up the mountains, if not for, for camping, then certainly a bit of glamping, as we like to think of it now. <laughs> and you can do it in comfort. It's not as if you're struggling. Uh, you know, I love the early combis. You've got a mate with a 1976 version of it. But it's one that you really did have to think about when you're approaching hills and that, that and that's a nature of <laughs> what it was. This would tootle along uh, quite comfortably on any not only highway but also maybe secondary road as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's and in that respect, it's another facet in which it's comparable to uh, its equivalent passenger vehicle. I mean, it's uh, all the talk is summonable from low down that its drivability is really the characteristic of both the commercial vehicles and passenger vehicles right hmm. so you don't have to have second thoughts about hills because it's always there but nor do you have to have second thoughts about getting away from the lights there are things even in the freight versions of them that i uh when i drove i, I liked that of course it's got a barrier so that goods hmm. can't fly in but it's also got glass so you don't get noise that any van can be an echo chamber and uh, the comfort of the driver is enhanced if that is blocked out with a, with a window rather than just an, an open space to it. So th- these are some of the features that really make for the comfort of the vehicle. Without spruiking too much, I hope, my own cars, <laughs> I think the, I, there's no necessity for a working vehicle to be completely utilitarian. Hmm. We like to think that the, the commercial driver or owner-operator is entitled to at least the same considerations as a as, a, as someone who would purchase a Tiguan or a Golf, or these days a T-Rock or a T-Cross. And uh, I think that one of the reasons it has been so successful is that typically uh, the owner-operator does vastly more kilometres than the average civilian driver. In fact, you know, there's all the figures show that the latter's uh, annual mileage is declining year on year. But that isn't true of their analogue in the, in the commercial vehicle space. Ah. So you have to spend a lot of time in that car. 
and it shouldn't be unpleasant. It's not so long ago that typically these things were white tin cans on wheels and they weren't even painted in the uh, ceiling all the way to the back. I think I think that's the least consideration people should be afforded. Uh, Paul, lovely to talk to you. I do appreciate your time. Not at all, David. Always a pleasure. That's Paul Pottinger, who's the General Manager of Corporate Communications for Volkswagen Group Australia, talking about the Caddy, which has a distinctive role and has a varied role to play in the market. And among other things, it just keeps us on our toes and keeps us aware of other opportunities. This is Overdrive across Australia. The Ford Ranger FX4 Max Ute sits just under the Raptor and is aimed at the recreational four-wheel drive market as well as those that may need to use the Ute for work. Ranger FX4 Max brings greater off-road capability with unique features including off-road suspension with Fox shocks, 32-inch all-terrain tyres and all-weather interior including a host of new materials and finishes. Combined, it has a 20mm suspension lift and all-terrain tyres, sees the ride height raised by 31mm over the Ranger XLT. The outright ground clearance to the rear differential is increased by 19mm to 256mm which is a handy clearance. In addition, the FX4 Max delivers greater approach and departure angles than the Ranger XLT. Similar to the Ranger Raptor, the FX4 Max brings a unique stance and exterior treatments, including conquer grey paintwork as well as FORD grille, metal hoop sidesteps, unique alloy wheels and a full-length sports bar. The Ranger FX4 Max boasts a 981kg payload and 3.5 tonne towing capacity. It's priced from $66,190 plus the usual costs. I'm Rob Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Pottinger, Matt Bailey, Bernie Quinn, Brianna Fraser, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for the help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. All previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City Driven Media. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.